Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void or prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's good? What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Hogshaven Podcast, powered by SB Nation. You can find us at hogshaven.com, at hogshaven on Twitter, and on Facebook. I am your host, Molly Mo. Jamal Forrest, you can find me on Twitter, at Let Mo Tell It. Do not forget the you. Go ahead and kick things off with the, the, the administrative item, the first and foremost administrative item. If you find yourself with some time today, make sure you hit that, that rating and review. Uh, definitely is appreciated, man. We truly appreciate that one. And uh, we would definitely appreciate it after this show. <laughs> uh, this, is a, this is a good one that I got lined up for you. Um, Matthew Paris of the Washington Times joined me to talk all things commanders and uh, to get his perspective on you know the team to this point in the season. A very good conversation, just understanding where he is with the team and um, how to navigate through the gray area that currently exists with the commanders. And um, if, if this two two game win streak is really worth, you know, uh, buying back into or or do we need some more time to really uh, assess this situation? Um, and then secondly, J.D. McKissick, uh, current running back for the Washington Commanders, obviously, as we know, um, J.D. chopped it up for, with me for about 15, 20 minutes. Uh, just to, you know, talk some ball and then talk about, you know, this cue collar, uh, this slight initiative um, on the field initiative uh, that is slowly developing. I think it's probably the, the best way to say it, uh, but it's slowly developing for contact sports, specifically football, um, making sure to uh, really dive into uh, brain injuries, brain trauma. Uh, and, and trying to mitigate that as much as possible. Uh, I broke down the specifics of the cute collar in that conversation with J.D. McKiss- McKissick, but I will say off the top of the show, uh, if you are interested, as we continue to move forward with this information, if you are interested in the cute collar, uh, athlete, parent, coach, whatever, um, all the above, <laughs> you can uh, find the cute collar at Q. 30.com or you can find them on twitter and instagram at q collar official it's just the letter q um and then the number 30 the, the number 30 itself so q30.com or you can find them on twitter at q collar official um and same thing with instagram as well before we get into that conversation with matt paris of the washington times let's go through some news and notes as of today we are recording on a wednesday wednesday afternoon uh, and so far as practice is going, this is per John Kime, who is up there at, uh, in Ashburn. Sadiq Charles 
not active. Cole Holcomb, not active. Uh, he's not sure why those two are not active. Also said Cole Turner is not active. That's due to a concussion. William Jackson, a back, he's inactive. John Dotson, inactive uh, due to a hamstring. Uh, Logan Thomas and Deami Brown, though, are both practicing. And then we have information from J, uh, J.P. Finley, who gave us a Chase Young update early this morning um, in that team source said that there is no setback, but don't expect the clock to start today. Team wants to be cautious and have one more doctor visit. If all goes well, Young likely practices next week. Commanders are not focused, or excuse me, commanders are focused on not rushing him back. Um, and I'm not really too mad at that. To be honest with you, I'm really not complaining at all. Um, I did see some people in the comments, and I'm uh, the comments of that tweet per se. Um, just simply not buying it and saying that there was a setback and you know past traumas really affecting these guys. You think about Curtis Samuel and what they said last year and the messaging, the mixed messaging about his injury recovery. But um, truth be told, uh, we all knew that Chase Young. I mean, or we should have all known. Chase Young's injury was not just a pure ACL tear. Ron Rivera said that. Um, a couple other people have said that. And then it's just public knowledge at this point that it was more than just his knee, his ACL that was the father. Um, so you're looking at a situation where you want to make sure that he's 110% uh, healthy and ready to return. And uh, if if they're saying that he has to, they want to wait one more week, let it be. What What is he rushing back? too like that's that's the biggest thing and what is he rushing back to right now um the defense have been able to keep them in games for the past few weeks uh at the very least he can wait one more week <laughs> before they start evaluating him evaluating him in practice as well so there's your update on chase young um the game against the packers uh you know, I've had some time to watch the film and really look over the game. And uh, when you look at, and I know this was random, <laughs> a random transition, but uh, one more thing before we get into Matt Paris and then J.D. McKissick uh, that follows soon after that. Um, I, I think that there are, that offense <laughs> – uh, I know I'm, I'm talking a little slow right now. Bear with me. But that offense um, in that second half was really good. What they were able to do in the ground game was really good. How Taylor bounced back after those first few passes in the first half was really good. The crazy thing about Taylor, too, like when you watch the tape, you see damn near every decision that he made decision people every decision that he made was probably the right choice <laughs> uh I, I in my opinion i thought it was the right choice the issue was his his accuracy or his hesitation one of the passes that rasul douglas almost picked off um early in the game you know he had a hook route from i believe i think it was uh who was the receiver I'm trying to find it now? Curtis Samuel. Um, he was late on Curtis Samuel who ran a hook route. Uh, and you know, because he hesitated, it allowed Douglas to close the gap 
and closed the space between him and Samuel initially. Samuel was open and had probably about five to six yards of separation, but uh, Heineke was working his reads from left to right, continued to pad the ball. And in the process of that going on, Rasul answers closer and closer and closer. And then when he gets to Curtis and he sees that Heineke locates him as well, he drives on the football, almost picks it off. Um, and there's that. And, and I went to one example, but there was several examples um, like that processing and that decision uh, was fine, but you can't hesitate. Like that's, that was, that was the thing right there. Um, and then you have a, a couple other options where, you know, there was a first and 10, a couple plays before the Curtis Samuel, the late throw to Curtis Samuel. Um, you have a free rusher on the right side uh, of the, of the offense. Uh, and it kind of rushes Taylor Heineke's internal clock, but still enough time to deliver a good bowl. Uh, uh, it was a good job by Terry, uh, who was running like a deep hook. Um, so, like, he's hooking behind the cornerback, I believe it was, and, and getting to the inside of that cornerback uh, just sitting. Um, and Taylor Heineke throws a bad ball to the left, but he, he knows who to throw it to. He's like he's in rhythm. Excuse me, he's he's in timing and the timing of the play, able to deliver a ball, but it was a bad ball. Now you have um a third and three, a couple plays before that. You know, you're running a mesh concept with Sims running somewhat like an over route to split the safeties. Um, he actually got open when you know Savage, Darnell Savage, I believe his name, uh, he got turned around on that third third level. But overall, Heineke had good eyes and anticipation on the second level throw. Uh, it was a dig route to Terry, uh, but the pass is behind him. And the the, the cornerback dropped an INT. <laughs> uh, so uh, it was really good by Terry um, to, you know, create that space, that small instance of separation. Um, and also good by Terry, I mean, excuse me, Taylor, to recognize that that dig was going to be there. That was the right throw to make. Um, it was a good second level throw. Excuse me, second level throw and decision, but the accuracy was the problem. Um, it was behind them, almost picked off, things like that. Um, and then you have a couple other more. Um, you're seeing a third and five, like on the 34th play of the game. Cole Turner gets open on the second level uh, due to a coverage breakdown. Um, but you know, it's a bad pass to Samuel with him running like an angle, an angle route. So it's, it's weird because an accurate pass would have actually led him right into Turner on the like they both ran like angle routes from opposite sides of the field. So you had one on the, the boundary side and one on the field side, both running somewhat of an angle route. Uh, but either way, Cole Turner is actually the person that's wide open. Um, and that was probably one of the ones where you're like, all right, you probably could have had a better read on this one, Taylor. Um, and that was probably the, the one where you could have uh, you could have created an opportunity for Cole Turner himself as opposed to going to Curtis Samuel, who was actually uh, in tight coverage in that instance. He, he didn't have that much separation. Uh, so there was uh, several instances from Taylor in that first half where uh, overall, outside of the one that I just mentioned, right? Like, for example, one more. <laughs> Shortly after the, the one where Cole Turner was wide open, you have a, a second and six, um, a couple plays after that one where, you know, uh, Taylor Heineke has good processing, uh, un understanding that, you know, he's facing up against a cover three and that scissors concept is going to create an opportunity for Cole Turner when he runs uh, towards like the, the, the sidelines. 
it's what I come to learn as like a pylon routes or, or think of like a corner route in a sense. And, um, you know, a high and inaccurate throw that actually knocks Cole Turner out of the game. Because if you had a better ball, you're, you're leading them closer to the sideline. He's not having to make a spectacular grab, like jumping in the air and making a great adjustment on the ball. It will probably just be in the bread basket and he's running down the sideline. Um, instead, that's the one that knocks him out. Um, but again, processing is good. His eyes were good. Um, and the anticipation was good. It's the accuracy that's the problem. <laughs> you know, obviously he turns things around after that. Um, you know, like the, the red zone play was really good. It, it was the red zone play that Antonio Gibson specifically was really good. Very good processing uh, behind the key to manipulate Darnell Savage again, the safety. Um, and, and the way this one worked is you had an empty formation, a three by two, um, and Heineke's plan and the, the structure of the play was to always work the two side. And I'm assuming it would probably be based on the coverage that they get. That's my guess. I'm not sure. But um, he starts off at the snap working the trip side and his eyes uh, is committed to that trip side and, and his head is committed to that trip side. And what does that do? That takes Darnell Savage, who's in the middle of the field, where that um, scissors concept, in a sense, is supposed to work, right? Or the switch released um, is supposed to work. And, and eventually Antonio Gibson is going to be in that middle of the field portion. So you have to get the safety out the way. And you're successful and able to do that because Terry is on that trip side and you have Antonio Gibson and Cole Turner on the right. Or was it Cole Turner or, or Armani Rogers? Like, or maybe Cam Sims. Either way, you had Antonio Gibson and, a, and another receiver on the right side of the field. And then you have the trip side, Terry McLaurin is over there. So you're definitely going to have people paying attention to where he is at all times. And with Taylor looking that way, he gets Darnell Savage out of the middle of the field. Boom. Turns his head back around, finds Antonio Gibson, drops his ball, uh, a ball over the linebacker into the back of the end zone. Antonio Gibson get his feet in, touchdown. Um, few more, several, several more instances of, of him really playing a uh, good ball uh, in that second half and, and for a long period of time. Um, and like uh, how you're able to really evade pressure um, is important as well. You know, there's a lot of conversation about, you know, what Carson Wentz would have been able to do behind this offensive line against the Packers. Um, and there was probably would have been some instances where he took a sack. And I think about a third and two, um, I think that's the 46 play of the game. You know, Heineke with his athletic ability is able to escape some instant pressure on him, escape the pocket and extends the play creating a scramble drill opportunity. And he's not necessarily looking to throw the football, I mean, run the football. He's more committed on drawing defenders toward him so he can find somebody on that second level or that first level for that first down. And a really good play by Armani Rodgers and Taylor Heineke. Armani understands that this is turned in from the structure of the play to a scramble drill. Armani is able to mirror Heineke on the second level, like, show face, show his chest, show his hands. And wherever Heineke moved, whether he was moving right, whether he was moving left, you saw you saw Armani Rogers in the middle of the field moving right, moving left, trying to make sure he's still in that, that zoned void, but he's able to do it. And he catches the pass, able to get, uh, get that first down conversion and extend the play. Um, another thing 
Play 49, third and 11. I think that was probably like the one third down, third and 11, third and long, excuse me, that, that Washington faced. I'm not too sure how many they had, but I don't think it was a lot. Uh, you got good processing from Curtis Samuel on his route stem. Um, and essentially what is that going to do, uh, the way you run your route stem, is you're, you're releasing toward to, to, to attack the defender's outside hip. And you're putting pressure on that defender. You're threatening that that space, that cushion that they have. Um, and when you reach that landmark, you're curling it and really just angling back towards the outside. Um, and you're creating that space between you and that defender. So, again, Curtis Samuel runs his route, understands that he has the leverage, leverage advantage when he reaches the break point. Um, and, and that route opens up space. But, you know, Taylor does throw a high pass. Um, but overall, it was away from the cornerback. Uh, and Samuel makes a big play going up there, snagging it uh, for, I think, 12 or 13 yards, and you got another first down. Another instance, <laughs> towards the end of the game, like we, we talk about, you know, that last play, that trust ball to Terry McLaurin to really uh, convert the first and essentially milk the clock and give Aaron Rodgers and company about 30 seconds or 20 seconds uh, after uh, that, that punt in the four-minute drill. But Terry had two big plays on that drive. And one was play 68 on the second and six. Same drive before you reach that 39 or whatever it was. Um, and this is somewhat similar to what, you know, Washington ran against the Detroit Lions uh, in that second half. Trying to find ways to isolate your best receiver in a one-on-one situation. And you get that same look <laughs> uh, from the Green Bay Packers that you got against Detroit. And, you know, I was harping last week just after the Bears game, like why when you know that you're going up against a team who is probably going to pressure your man, cover zero or whatever it is, um, why are you going to um, not be prepared to have these hot routes or have these short routes? Why are you sending everyone deep um, beyond the sticks? But sometimes it's not going to work. Now, credit to Washington, though, this week. Um, they made it work. <laughs> Taylor Heineke found a way to make it work um, on several instances throughout the throughout the course of the game. It was actually a couple of plays before uh, before this play to Terry, where they were able to to really work a third and eight, um, sending vertical routes upfield and, and getting Curtis Samuel in the flats, um, and essentially Curtis Samuel, <clears throat> excuse me, is able to get upfield and, and get some yak opportunity. I think it was like a twenty yard gain, I believe. Um, and like 14 of it was through the legs of Curtis Samuel. Uh, but then you go back to, obviously, like I said, Terry McLaurin in that play uh, where you're isolating. It starts off as like a three-by-two. Um, on the two side, you have Terry McLaurin and J.D. McKissick, and you motion J.D. McKissick into the backfield. And at that point, it cues up for Heineke that, hey, this is a man coverage based on how they're reacting. And I'm pretty sure it's going to be some pressure on the on on uh, whether it's my front side or blind side. So at the end of the day, Terry is one on one at this point with Jair Alexander, and Terry is running a whip route uh, and creates several yards of separation at the catch point, and you get about 12 yards and a conversion to move the sticks. And again, a four uh, four minute drill, which is just as essential as a two minute drill, uh, just as essential as your red zone situations, and just as essential as third downs. I didn't say third downs yet. So it's all important. Um, so yeah, overall, man, I really think Terry Taylor bounced back 
uh, from a, a horrific start. It was really bad. Uh, I think the decisions that he made, um, most of them, when it was bad, was the right decisions. Um, but I think what hurt him was inaccuracies. Um, and you can't avoid like the first six or seven plays. Like that was terrible. And I'm not excusing those, right? Passing the flat, that was almost a pick six. Uh, the, the prayer ball to uh, near Terry McLaurin and, and Cam Sims on the side of the, on the, the sideline, that was almost picked. Um, and then a couple other plays um, within those first 10 or 11 plays, that's just kind of where you're like, all right, you got to get better. <laughs> you can't, you can't afford to do that every week. Uh, you have to come out the, the gate plan much better than that. Um, or Washington has already lost and the game isn't even into the second quarter yet. <laughs> um, but overall, I think he bounced back, man. I think he had a solid game, a very solid game in that second half. It's very good. Scott Turner was consistent throughout the game. I think he created or provided several opportunities for this offense to make plays downfield. And while you're not going to see it in the statistics from Taylor Heineke, which you shouldn't, um, you know, I think that the op- he, like, he executed within the offense and took what the defense gave him. And I think that's all you can really ask for in his situation. Defensively, um, Aaron Rodgers said it best. I think it was yesterday on the Pat McAfee show. Um, Washington didn't do anything special. I think that they were able or they were comfortable sitting back and getting and trying to pressure with four. And while they were able to do that on a couple of occasions, uh, Aaron Rodgers was pretty comfortable in, in that in that backfield. Um I think that they just did a good job trying to contain him and, and make sure that they didn't give him lanes to escape the pocket in a sense. But overall, I think that uh, the commanders wasn't really able to get the pressure that you hope you can get before, um, but they just stayed and kept that, that back seven um, in, in coverage and, and just trusted themselves without having the blitz. Uh, and I mean, that's, that's obvious that to this point, they've said it. But I think when you look at the film, it's like, you were going up against a team that really had a offensive line that was shuffling, shuffled just as much as they did as just as much as Washington does to this point. And like their offensive line is bad across the board outside of Batiari who just didn't play. Um, but you weren't able to get sacks. You weren't able to get home on Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and sure some of it had to do with him getting the ball out quick, but then there was some times where you had to hold on the ball a little bit longer and you're wondering where that pressure is. Um, so uh, if you're going to rush forward, you got to make sure that you find a way to win or try to isolate your guys in one-on-one situations. Um, there were a couple like Deron Payne on a stunt. Uh, I can't remember the play, but Deron Payne came on a stunt where he had to, you know, bend the corner uh, or bend, bend the corner, excuse me. Um, and he was able to do that, had some good bend and, 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 and got around this tackle, uh, and actually got a hit on Aaron Rodgers in that moment. Uh, but too far in between in terms of the pressure that they were able to or weren't able to get on Aaron Rodgers. Um, and is that concerning moving forward? It has been my concern. Um, the, the game that you get, what, five sacks, I believe, against the Bears, uh, two of them were against the offensive linemen. And I don't mean that in like a disrespectful way. Like you really beat your, your – you won your one-on-one opportunity. And then the other three were a byproduct of Justin Fields not – not getting rid of the ball or holding on to the ball too long. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind. Uh, it's just how they're able to get pressure. Like, are they going up against lesser tackles? Are they going up against tight ends where they're beating their man? 
Are they going up against receivers who are staying in the block? That's all those things right there. Okay. So I got my thoughts out, my brief thoughts, because I could have went much longer. <laughs> but I got my thoughts out on the game. Like I said, Taylor Heineke played well. Uh, he Or he bounced back. He really recovered and had a strong game in that second half. Scott Turner helped him out with the ground game. The, the receivers made plays. Terry made tons of plays. This could have been his best game uh, to this point in the season. I'd have to double check because I'm not too sure. Uh, but I really liked what he did in crunch time. Uh, he, he made a name for himself in terms of that day, uh, what he could do for your team. Um, and then the defense, you know, solid game, very disciplined for the most part. Uh, didn't let a reeling Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay Packers uh, overcome their faults and their issues against you. Uh, you took advantage of a team that was hurt, um, hurt in a way of like they can't, they, they are struggling to recover from their struck, uh, their offensive struggles to this point, whether it's drops, lack of talent, Aaron Rodgers missing things, it continued in the Washington game. So, yeah, that's that. Um, up next, it's Matthew Parrish, the Washington Times. And then after that is the good man, J.D. McKissick. Joining me right now is Matt Parrish. Matt covers the commanders for the Washington Times. Matt, man, I appreciate you joining me today. And uh, I, I think the thing is with, with you and – um, you, you've been a busy man over the past couple of weeks. Like you had a, a great moment. I, I, I even, I had to send you that compliment, man, for sure. Uh, you had a great moment doing Rivera's presser. Um, just asking some, some critical questions about his mob and the commanders as it relates to the rest of the NFC East. Then you had a road trip to Chicago for uh, a commander's win. Then on your way to New York for the owner's meeting, all within a, the, the, the time span of a week. And then you're back at FedEx field for Washington's second consecutive win. This is a safe space, man. Just let me know. Have you uh have you officially crashed yet? Are you are you tired? <laughs> no, uh after New York, yeah, I was a little tired, but uh I took the long weekend in Chicago because my family's from there. So I oh, went nice. to the suburbs and hung out with them and got to relax for a few days after that. So it was really nice to see them and that got me charged up. But yeah, New York was uh pretty busy too. Well, quick thing, are you cause are you a um? I don't. I, and this obviously is no big deal because there's plenty of people uh, who who don't who aren't fans of the team that they cover. But I I'm betting that you weren't. You didn't grow up a, a Commanders fan. No, not at all. I mean, yeah. Where, where did you? Where would your Where would your allegiance lie when you were growing? Oh, up? I grew up as a Broncos fan because I lived in uh, Colorado for like from five to twelve, like the formative sports years. Um. So yeah, the Broncos. Now, I mean, I don't really care, but that was uh, yeah. I feel like I, I feel like that fandom kind of wanes a little bit the more you get involved with the the reporting side and journalist side. But uh, you're doing a good job, big dog. So um, let's go ahead and, and get into the Commanders right quick. What do you make of this two game win streak? Uh, I, I, I'll leave it there. But I guess to to further uh, influence the conversation, are you buying or selling what's going on right now as well? I'm buying the defensive improvement. I think there's been a noticeable shift. Um, benching William Jackson, I think, has really kind of helped shore things up. And I know it's not fair to necessarily, um, you know, pin it on one player. But you look at the defensive line, and they've been playing really great pretty much all season. You know, they've been affecting things. They've just needed that secondary to kind of hold up on the back end. And if they're buying enough time for the defensive line, then I think you're seeing a lot more of what people expected to from this group. So, and buying the the defensive improvement 
The offense, eh, we'll have to see. You know, as good as it is to run the ball, I don't know how sustainable that is. I mean, we haven't really seen Washington fall behind these past couple games like they have the first few weeks. So if that happens again, are they going to be able to run it if they have to pass as Heineke or if Carson Wentz comes back? Are those guys going to be able to dig Washington out of a hole? Well, who knows? But, you know, things are starting to click a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing with Taylor Heineke is they just – they know the identity with him. They know how they have to play. And I think that kind of helps get things back on track a little bit more. And before we dive into Taylor specifically right now, I think you, you spoke on something that was really important. And it was something that was on my list of questions. Uh running the football and, and how effective it, it was a conversation that we had last year um, in terms of that four game win streak, like how effective is it, especially when you go up against uh, stronger teams. Now they did get, have a good outing defensively against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but nine times out of 10, I don't think you're betting on t- uh, Tampa Bay and, and Tom Brady to, to really be that stagnant offensively um, and, and still with some, some missed opportunities on that side. But, but back to this point, staying balanced. Uh, I felt like Scott Turner, for whatever reason, is a, is a coordinator who, has to see it to believe it. Like he has to see that this offense can be effective running the ball in the game in order to say, hey, I think it's important for us to stick with the, with the ground game. Uh, what do you make against uh, that outing, specifically against the Packers? But then again, from a, a macro standpoint, uh, do you think that Scott Turner, the coordinator, would be able to, to stay as balanced as he could in order to help this team out? Yeah, I think the thing with Scott is, you know, I talked to him about this last year is, a lot of the defensive coverages nowadays just basically bait teams into trying to run the ball that 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 teams aren't going to have the patience to keep running over and over and over again. And so he's going to call their bluff, and I think he does accept that. Now, he is a bit more of a modern play caller in terms of loving to use motion and taking play-action shots down the field and throwing on first down, but... You know, I think part of that is personnel and part of it is the, the circumstances. You know, what they were doing before wasn't working, so they've had to um, shift. And, you know, credit to this coaching staff because, you know, I think the criticism in the past is they've waited too long to adjust. And, you know, I know it's still, what, what, week eight coming up here? So it's not the most – it's not the fastest time in, in the world, but it is – they have adapted a little bit sooner than maybe – in past years, and I think it's helped salvage their season a little bit. Now, Taylor Heineke, um, what was where were you at in terms of like the Wentz status for the rest of the season? Uh, whenever he's healthy again, what, where were you at before Taylor played his game on Sunday, and after the game on Sunday that Taylor played? Has your opinion changed uh, from what it was before he played? So essentially, like, I mean, you get it, but but just trying to figure out where your head was at with Taylor before uh, this whole situation started. Well, with Taylor, I, I, with Taylor and Carson, it's connected, right? I, I hated the Carson one straight when it first happened. I just didn't think it was, you know, smart to give up that much for him. And it just I thought he was a little bit washed. As, you know, training camp progressed and it looked like he turned a corner with his accuracy, started to buy in a little bit more. And I think stylistically what they want to do, Carson Wentz is suited better for that. He can he has a stronger arm. Those throws that he makes really – do pop and you know I think the upside with Carson Wentz is still kind of there even though he had struggled you know it had it you look at the quarterbacks around the league they've all kind of struggled 
um, the, the new ones rather, except Geno Smith, but he had been in that roster. It was like, a new, uh, new situations yeah. generally. Just, the new situations, exactly. And a lot of them are still working their way through. So I think once maybe needs a little bit more time, but Heineke, yeah, you know, Sunday's performance, it wasn't super impressive in the sense of like just the pure statistics, but you can tell the guys rally around him. And like I said before, just kind of the identity that they have with Heineke at the helm, they, they really kind of know how to play. And I do think him extending plays with his legs um, does help it. I was surprised they didn't roll Heineke out more Sunday. I thought that they would take, try and take advantage of his legs. And uh, he was really in the pocket a lot. But Yeah, it, it was it was weird. I think um, I, it takes, for whatever reason, it, it just takes a half <laughs> with, with Turner sometimes to really understand the importance. And, and obviously we saw a lot more of those rollouts in the second half. Yeah. Um, and and who, who knows why those inaccurate – uh, moments in those spurts in that first half really existed. I, like it's it's hard to sit here and say that a quarterback, uh, NFL quarterback, can struggle that much throwing from the pocket. Like I don't think rolling him out in the first half would have uh, dramatically increased in his accuracy. But even still, like you didn't try it, so we can't sit here and say that it didn't help or it wouldn't have helped. But altogether, uh, with Taylor, um, it's. I just I think this is a a quarterback where when you look at the the work that he's done over two seasons uh, eight or I think he's one win away from eight and eight in terms of his record his his record as a starter but it's just interesting is the right word I don't want to say I was going to say weird but I think it's very interesting Matt that uh, the team naturally draws itself to Taylor Heineke and reacts and responds and and lives off of Taylor Heineke's uh, raw ability, his passion, um, and and the intangibles that you you're not necessarily uh, being able to see from a, 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 a athletic ability or per, per, uh, ability to throw the football. Like you're not seeing that, but you see the intangibles that he provides. Uh, let us know from your perspective and your observations how the team has been responding to him and over over the course of uh, the the year and a half that he's been here. Yeah, they're fired up, and I think they just love his story of where he comes from, of you know being out of the NFL for so long and, and coming out, and he's very much just kind of your normal dude. Like before this in, in the locker room, they have like this golf thing where they can just putt, and he was a big proponent of just kind of working on his putt game in the locker room while other people are playing bags. Like he's just like a normal dude, and um, it, it's fun. It really kind of fires up the fan base, but why he's so attractive to the fan base. I think there are a lot of those same characteristics overlap with the you know, teammates in the locker room and the fan base in general. Um, one of the bigger conversations, again, stems from the quarterback position. It can't be avoided, but uh, I mean, it's obviously looming around the team, like what to do with Carson Wentz. And, and, and that's kind of where I lead it in with the Taylor conversation. Uh, but, but not only like what to do with Carson Wentz, you know, Ron Rivera will be a key cog in whatever happens to him, uh, whether they continue to or put Wentz back in when he's healthy or just continue to sideline him uh, once he's healthy. Uh, it goes without saying that his response to you uh, a week or two ago at this point uh, was much more complex than what he said yeah. um, on the surface. But uh, if we're taking his, his words at face value for the sake of our conversation, uh, do you believe that Rivera believed himself <laughs> that this team is behind the other three teams in the East? due to their ability to build around the quarterback. 
Yeah, I, I think Rivera believes that. I don't think it's a good excuse because, you know, you look at the situation, even though Cooper Rush had been in Dallas' system, they still didn't view him highly enough to keep on the 53-man roster to start the season. They put him on the practice squad as like a, a technical thing. And then Daniel Jones, you know, he's in a new system as well. And those, you know, the, the receiving core had changed so much. And those guys, there there wasn't just a continuity there with Jones. You know, it, it, it's it's junk. And Hurts, I think, is maybe the most, you know, you could give that to Ron. But, you know, also Carson Wentz, to be fair to him, he wasn't the, the sole problem why Washington got off to such a slow start. I mean, the offensive line wasn't doing any favors. The defense was a mess. Um, they hadn't really been able to get their run game going. And, and so, you know, it is – a lot of things went wrong just besides once. Yeah, uh, that's that's my thing. Like, it was it was a lot that, that went on besides Wentz. Um, and it's – I would say there's a valid argument to – to making if you want to put Wentz back in there when he comes back. Uh, but at that point of the season, I don't know, because it's hard, man. When you win two games in a row, people's perspective changes really quick. Like all of a sudden, this is a this was a team at one point at at what one and four where you're like, Yeah, pack it up. <laughs> just just go ahead and keep it pushing. But now at three and four, you're you're observing these situations and seeing that uh while cars, I mean, while Taylor Heineke produced uh, offensively for one half, it still wasn't an offense where you can sit here and, and stand confident in moving forward. So uh, it's, it's an interesting ordeal. Um, I don't even know if I should mention the the third, the third quarterback to you, Matt, in terms of where you are with him, but because we're on the show, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> and sure. I'm going to say what percentage uh, or what percent chance do you have him playing this year? And how does he, how does he work into this whole, this whole mix at quarterback for you? Um, I think there's, I don't know the percentage, it would, maybe 20 in terms of, it just depends of like what. Oh, that's a little bit high too. It is a little bit high. It's, I think if we were to see him, it would be most likely in the stretch that Wentz is still out rather than the season being lost at the end. Now, if the season is out of control and they're eliminated from the playoffs, maybe he starts week 18 to see what they have or something like that but it, it's you know it just really depends on kind of how Heineke performs I mean the first half it, if you got three games of how Heineke performed in the first half then you you'd see Sam Howell it was just you know he, he needs to be able to sustain it a little bit better and you know the thing with Heineke too is they know what they have in him and they don't really know yeah. what they have at once but as long as they're still competing in games and the season is still salvageable, then yeah, you know, you're going to see Heineke in there. But um, I, I do think Hal is still, for anyone hoping to see Hal and to be like a savior, I don't think necessarily is realistic at this point. I just think, I think he has a lot of talent, but he, yeah. he still has a ways to go. And I think some of the things you, you see with the offensive line in terms of like giving up a lot of pressure and sacks, I think that would be even more magnified with Sam Howell just a bit on the way his footwork is. And, needing to adapt in the NFL that way. So, yeah, Sam, Sam Howell's a project. Let's put it that way. Fair enough. A um, couple more questions for you, Big Dog. I appreciate you joining me uh, as well. Um, defensively, 
Um, you, you did say that was the one side that you are buying. Uh, but when we talk about this this defense, there are several expiring contracts coming up. Um, and then we know about Montez Sweat and Deron Payne situation on the defensive line. Cole Holcomb is another guy on the second level where you're looking at and you're saying, well, look, we gave him this op- from a commander standpoint, we gave him this opportunity uh, to, to be a middle linebacker. And uh, I think that he is or isn't, you know, worth this extension or whatever, whichever route they go. Uh, if you had to make a projection or a prediction based on what we know seven games in on that defense and that front seven, uh, what is your your outlook on those three particular players and uh, right there? Um, and then maybe even a, a wild card in Kendall Fuller, who's had an up and down season to this point. Uh, just where are you at with those those names? Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on the price tags. I mean, Holcomb makes sense to, to bring back in terms of he's a guy who knows who's been here. To me, he's just very – he's an – I mean this in a compliment. He's an It's average, a safe space, Matt. Don't forget. It's a safe space, man. Go ahead. Let, it, let us know. <laughs> he's an average middle linebacker, and it's okay to have competency in there. He's not a guy that's going to, you know, bust, like, pop every week. But he's a guy who just kind of plugs along and does his job. And so there is some value in retaining that, and especially because – those guys don't get paid a lot of money. So, you know, maybe it makes sense to bring him back that way. Um, Montez Sweat, you know, he does have another year. They picked up his fifth-year option. So I don't think he's expiring this year, correct? Uh, Yeah, so I, when I meant – yeah, you're right. Absolutely yeah. right. Uh, I, when I meant expiring, it's more so like decisions do have to be made. Yeah, no, no. I mean, you would still – this would be the off-season to hammer out an extension if they wanted to do that. Um, Yeah, we'll, we'll see. You never know with – kind of how the draft unfolds like last year you could have said oh they need to extend pain but then they drafted Fidarian Mathis so with pain you know it it really hurts that you don't have Mathis to evaluate to see if he yeah. could have filled those shoes potentially but I know Rivera we've asked Rivera about this and he's very complimentary of Deron Payne and really likes him as a player and you know if you look at their situation in Carolina they had those two stout defensive tackles, two star defensive tackles, Star Lutu, Lele, and um, K1 Short. That, that really feed it. That really uh, – Carolina's defense was built around those two kind of star defensive tackles. But at the same time, I have a hard time believing that Washington is going to invest that many cap resources in paying – you know, Jonathan Allen is already a top 10 paid defensive interior lineman. And are they going to really make do the same for Deron Payne? I, I think he would get top 10, top five interior defensive line money at the very least. So I think some other team is going to come in there and swoop him up. But I, I don't necessarily think that's because Washington doesn't value him that way. I think it's probably just more of a philosophy type of thing. Last thing. Um Early thoughts on this commander's matchup against the Colts. Uh, obviously, there's no more Wentz versus Ryan and the organization. Um, there's no more Wentz versus Ryan, or there's no more Wentz versus the organization by itself. There may be a Dan Schneider versus Jim Bursay, but who cares about owners? They aren't playing on the field. Uh, where are you at with this matchup? Um, can Washington make it three in a row, or is it going to be a little challenging? Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> there's no more Matt Ryan in general. I mean, they, they benched yeah. him. That was really – Surprising to me, I know. I mean, I, I watched a, I watched that Broncos Colts game. That Bron- yeah. horrible. It was the worst, and I stayed up the entire game, Matt. It was one of the worst games I've ever seen. 
right. terrible. <laughs> no, and, and like they just um, oh, sorry, Jonathan oh, Hankins just got traded to the Cowboys. Oh like, Lord, like, former Giant. I I know yeah. that man. <laughs> um, and so and Raider, I liked him. Yeah, yeah, the Raiders are trading. <laughs> anyway, um. Yeah, no, uh, this game, I, I do like Washington's chances. We'll have to see what Sam Ellinger, uh, Ellinger brings to the Colts, his ability to scramble maybe. You know, Washington has struggled against mobile quarterbacks a little bit here and there. Um, does that does that quarterback change boost Indianapolis' offense? But, you know, this is, this is a game where the defense could really continue to thrive. You know, Indianapolis' offensive line hasn't really been great. They don't really have the receivers to kind of pose a lot of threat to Washington. I, I'm a fan of Michael Pittman, and this Alex yeah. Pierce that they drafted looks pretty good. But, yeah. you know, it's still not a stellar group. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's – I could see Washington's defense having a big day. And if Washington gets the ball a lot and they have that kind of grinded out style that we've seen, it, it's a game that – lends itself to the way that Washington wants to play. And if they're able to play that way, then yeah, I do like their chances of winning. Sounds good, Matt. I definitely appreciate you joining me right now. This is Plug Talk, man. Let the people know where they can find you, hear from you, read from you, all that good stuff, man. The floor is yours. Yeah, you can uh, find me on. Yeah, my voice. <laughs> I don't know why it just went up. It happens, man. Jesus. <laughs> um, yeah, so you can find me on the Washington Times, uh, WashingtonTimes.com slash sports. And you can follow me on Twitter at Matthew underscore Paris, P-A-R-A-S. And joining us right now is Commanders running back J.D. McKissick. J.D., man, I appreciate you joining me today. Um, how do I wh- – all right, so where do we start? I think from an overall perspective, because I was trying to figure out how to even start this thing because – I was it was a lot, it was a couple people that I remember in 2020 before you got here in Washington. Um, there were a few running backs that like from a, a free agent perspective, uh people were looking into. Obviously, at that point, Washington needed like a third down running back. And for me, uh, I was a big fan of your game, and then I was a big fan of Theo Riddick at the time. And mm-hmm. they ended up going Theo Riddick. Yeah, Theo Riddick at the time. And um Obviously, for the, the same type of ability that you both have, pass catching out of the backfield, but also like explosive athletes. Um, and they ended up picking you up. And three years later, you were still here with the commanders. Uh, and I think you're a top five weapon with this team. Um, I think that's safe to say. 1,800 yards from scrimmage uh, and 34 games with the team. Uh, just how has these three years treated in, in Washington treated you? Um, it's treated me great, bro. Um, I can't complain, man. Just to, you know, been through what I've been through as far as in the league, you know. Always felt like I was one of the best um, at what I do, um, and never just got that opportunity um, to be given that, to be given that, and be trusted, um, to be, you know, to get that, um, that hey, we're gonna let you get the rock. Um, that that just meant a lot to me to show what I could possibly do. Um, in 2020, they let me do that, man, and last year as well, man. So um, that was definitely a reason. Uh, well, I want to return. I do love this team. I, you know, I got a lot of respect respect for Rivera. Um, and you know, it, it was no reason why, you know, I felt like I should not, you know, come back. So I, I can't complain about the first two for sure. Absolutely. And, and, um, what you said just now reminded me of uh, Raheem Mostert for the, 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 uh, the Dolphins. And, um, he was on an interview last week and he was talking about how, 
you know, he went through so much in the early because he's 30 now and he went through mm-hmm. so much in the early <laughs> makings of his career, really trying to fight and and push through the adversity. And, and it was at one point where he mentioned like the Cleveland Browns was that moment. I think he was on the practice squad, if I'm not mistaken. And like mm-hmm. he had a conversation with his wife and that in that conversation can or, or his wife's father. Uh, it just told him and convinced him like to keep pushing and don't give up. Uh, what was that moment? Because I, I know in Seahawks, you had that was like your longest tenure outside of the commanders. Um, mm-hmm. the Seahawks was your longest tenure. How, how what was that that driving factor that told you, hey, um, I know you're not getting your opportunities right now, JD, but it's gonna be worth it down the line and you gotta keep pushing. Man, um I, I feel like it goes way, you know, way before that. Um, just being from where I'm from and you know, growing up in Phoenix City, Alabama. Um and being in a one bedroom with three, with two brothers, it was three of us and my mom and my dad and just the struggle, man. And um, always not being counted on um, as far as when it comes to sports and getting, you know, getting overlooked. In high school, I had 25 catches for like 500, 100 yards mm. um, and, and begged the team for my high school for more touches. Um, and, you know, I got the opportunity to go to Arkansas State because I put some good stuff on film. And, you know, so that was already a chip on my shoulder um, because I always felt like in high school I, I wasn't given the, you know, a, a fair opportunity to just really cut up and really put myself out there um, like these other guys have. So I'm pissed off already with that. And so I go to Arkansas State and um, I go in raw talent, man. I'm I'm going super hard because I, I know where I just came from and I'm just ready to, you know, to, to prove my family right, you know, that, that you know because they're the ones who believe in me. Um, they're the ones I could call on when I'm, you know, when I'm, I'm hurting and, mm-hmm. and and for them to push me just like um, um, Moster in his situation. So um, I leaned on my family, man, and, and I went to A-State and, and I red shirted. I, I felt like that was the correct thing to do. And after that, you know, I really just, you know, left everything on the field like Russell Westbrook. You know, he <laughs> leave everything on the court. Yeah. Um, I left everything on the field, man. And, 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 and it worked out for me, and I didn't get drafted. I felt like I could have been drafted for sure. So now that's on me. Now I'm like, I'm pissed again. But I'm like, let me get my foot in the door um, with the Falcons, and then I go in and I, you know, I'm with I'm with um, Raheem Morris. I'm with Coach of the Florida OC from the Jets. I'm with Kyle Shanahan, and they really got a they developed me on P Squad for sure because that mm-hmm. that training camp, you know. I'm getting better. I'm trying to learn the offense. I'm coming from a, a fast-paced offense to where we had signals from our guys who gave the plays from, you know, the coaches gave the plays from being out of bounds and just signaling it in, and we would just line up as fast as we can to run mm-hmm. the play. So this, so now it's getting the auto, listen to a sentence, and go execute it. And I'm like, what the hell? What position I'm at? <laughs> uh, it was like that. And so – so I just had to learn, and and I, I had those kick returns. I was mm-hmm. returning like crazy my rookie year, um, in the preseason, and that and that helped me glue to the team, um, and just really just develop, develop every, you know, every week, every week I would go against True Front, um, and and um, Alfred at cornerback, and I was the receiver. I would go against all those guys and try to win. Um, it was nothing like you know being taken advantage of out there just running to be running. It was all about, hey, these you're doing real things that could show us, you know, that you're improving, and I would do it. And we would, me and Coach LaFleur would, he would put together the tape um, and show me um, that Saturday 
well, no, that Friday, after that Friday practice, and we would watch it and be like, this is what you get better at. This is what I do like. This is what I don't like. This is what we have to fix. This is what I do love about you. Um, what you bring, what are, what are you going to bring to the table that, you know, that Julio, um, Sanu, Aldrin Robinson, Taylor yeah. Gabriel. Aldrin got um, some throwback right there. What, yeah, yeah, what them guys, what, what, what you going to bring to the table that they don't have. And then we had another guy who, don't really get a lot of credit. Eric Weems, he was a monster. He yeah. was a special teams demon. He just wanted to play football. And that and that helped me learn that, hey, man, it's not about being on offense. It's about, you know, being a football player. So I go to Seattle. I get the chance to go to Seattle because they, they brought me up and they brought me back down. I didn't clear waves. I go to Seattle. And I go in there and I'm just a football player. Like, I I, I am a receiver. I'm developing as a receiver. I go, in, I go to Seattle as a running back. So running routes is easy to me. So yeah. now it's all about what you're going to do on kickoff. How you going to block this guy on punt return? And, and I was just, you know, I was really embracing it because I remember how he did. I'm like, damn, this dude crazy. This is my dog, though, and, and I just carried over. You know, I took what he did. I took what all those guys did and tried to put it into me um, as a player, just being an observer. And I think that helped me out for sure. Um, so, yeah, man, that's – that was kind of me just knowing that I could get that opportunity. Once I get that opportunity, I just had to be ready for it. Um, and somebody to trust me, you know, cause I know what I could do. Absolutely. And I think, um, it's something similar when I, now that I'm thinking about it, like the transition just to run it back generally, that's the first thing. And, uh, you're never really, I'm an outsider, so it is what it is, but you're never really guaranteed a spot in the league, regardless if you transition from a receiver to, to to run it back or from a receiver to tight end or just from a, another position switch but you know you're given that opportunity to showcase your skills and, and I think about Antonio Gibson uh and the situation he went through with Washington like he took that he, he was drafted out of Memphis as a receiver and the first thing that the the commanders did say hey we're gonna put you at running back and, mm-hmm. and and I will ask you like how did that how are you observing Antonio Gibson in that running back room uh, and his transition over the years, because you've been here since the beginning with him. Both of mm-hmm. y'all been both of y'all been together. How how's that transition looking like for Antonio? Ag a. just a raw talent, man. Um, being a receiver, the thing about him being moved to running back, he's he's two hundred plus pounds, you know, two twenty yeah. plus. So coming from receiver and taking hits, it ain't gonna be. It shouldn't be nothing for him, you know. That's why he running through guys and was a receiver because he he's just so big and, and he's just a good athlete. Um, but it's it's things that he had to learn that, you know, as far as protection, um, just watching him, he picked that up. Uh, he was focused, man. He was focused. He, he put everything in it, um, and, and he learned the game. And he learned the game, and, you know, you just look at him now. You know, he's becoming that true running back, you know. And, and is this – oh, yeah. go ahead. You got it. No, you good. You good. Now, I was about to follow up because I, I was about to say, is this like one of the, the – I, I think about the the, the other – because you were there, I think, when Marshawn left in Seattle. I mean, you had one year in Detroit. Uh, mm-hmm. What is this like the, the best group of running backs that, that you've been a part of, just in terms of the, the stable, Jonathan Williams, uh, Jared Patterson, obviously, um, and then you obviously, uh, Antonio Gibson, yourself, and, um, you know, Brian Robinson as well. Okay, so, so yeah, <laughs> <Let's hear> man. <laughs> um, so, yeah, when you talk about, I can't never forget about my guys in Seattle. So when we, it was me, Chris Carson, um, still a dope. Yeah, um, Mike Davis, um, and CJ Procise. 
We were all we were, and then Rashad Penny. We were all up on that same team. Um, and then you come back. Now you come with me, AGB Raw, J Will, and and um, JP. Oh, <laughs> you could. Hey, look, up. I can help you out. You can do a one A and a one B, or you could just do tie for first. You know, if you want to, if you want to be politically correct on here, it's perfectly fine. <laughs> nah, because um, Chris Carson was a bruiser. Um, Penny Penny could definitely run that thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's it's kind of fit the same for real, for real. Then you had Mike D. Then you look at Mike D, who was behind him too. Then you look at um, a a jiggle, a a jeezy. Um, then you look at B Rob. Then you then you yeah. look at Jay Will, who behind them too. It's like it all matches up the same. To be for real, man. Um, just a lot of great players, man. I don't really, you know, I don't really want to do the, you know, the Kobe, not, not comparing, but the, I guess you, you know, LeBron is better than Mike. You don't want to put them against each other. Like they're yeah, all yeah, stable. Yeah. They're really good. Yeah. I, think, I got I think, you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So let's uh, go ahead. Transition right quick to, to the, to the team um, and, and the commanders, man. I think one of the hardest things from a, a, a coverage standpoint and from a fan standpoint is the fact that, you know, there are a lot of emotions in the team. Obviously, like, it, it is what it is. It goes without saying for every single team in the NFL. But when you lose four straight, uh, you know, we don't think about all the time what the players are going through. And and uh, we don't think about every every single piece of work ethic and every single piece of commitment and, and all those things that the, the players go through. Like, what what how hard was it just trying to remain headstrong over a four-game losing streak that was uh, pretty tough? Yeah, we, we know you guys are pissed. Um, <laughs> you know, fans, you know, it's broken yeah. up to fanatics. So we know you guys are pissed off. But, I mean, us, you know, just we we, we, we are the ones actually out there putting in the work, you know, the blood, sweat, and tears um, and, and come up short on game day. So we the ones that really got to deal with the pain, you know. So, But it was all about, you know, these guys took this stuff on pretty well, man. Um, the locker room never changed. These dudes stayed focused, head down, and – you know, kept, you know, trusting in the coach's plan and knowing that we will eventually get through that wall. And right now we're still getting through it. But at the end of the day, um, you know, you just got to keep your head down and stay focused, kind of stay off the stay off the Internet, let people say what they're going to say, because at the end of the day, you know, we are the one percent. And, you know, um, if 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 everybody could do a shit, you know, everybody would do it. So yeah. <laughs> so you just let them talk and, and we just, you know, we just do what we got to do, man, to, to try to get over that hump, you know, and, you know, that's what it's all about for real, for real. Absolutely. And, and then the, the Packers game, uh, a good outing from the offense. Uh, and, and and it seems like you're, you're able, well, I mean, it's one game. So, and it's always one week at a time. So I, I guess I would rather ask more. So what needs to happen uh, on the offensive side of football, just to make sure that you improve and continue to improve as the weeks uh, move along. Stand on course, um, you know, Kind of piggyback on these wins. Uh, uh, well, not I wouldn't even say that. Um, delete all that. You know, you go into the next game, O and O. Go into the next game, O and O. Man, stay focused. Um, r- really learn, know the plan, know the plan going into the game, um, and trust the plan and execute the plan. Um, and believe in your preparation once the game start, man, and bring that energy and juice. Um, and you know, and then we see, can we get another W? That's that's how I view things. That's how I feel like it should be 
uh, took on by all the other guys on the offensive side, speaking offensively. Absolutely. And, and uh, with Scott Turner, uh, just understanding how he's been able to use uh, you. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, four people. I had I had three people initially, but, but you, uh, Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson, and obviously Curtis Samuel uh, in and out of the backfield and also at the line of scrimmage as well, uh, out wide from um, between you and Antonio Gibson. How how much has that really opened up the offense per se? But um, like I feel like you've always had those looks from a receiver standpoint, but I, I don't think I've seen that much from Antonio Gibson in terms of out uh, wide alignments and stuff like that. How much do you think that uh, that has helped this offense to this point? Damn, I don't really understand the question anymore. Now you once you, you put good. AG in. No, so so essentially, um, at, at some point there's been a conversation for for an extended period, like uh, there's been some some ways in which Washington could use Antonio Gibson more as a as an offensive weapon rather than just mm-hmm. primarily at running back. And I'm mm-hmm. saying from the running back position altogether, with Curtis Samuel being in and out of the backfield, and you have yourself uh, Antonio Gibson both in and out of the backfield, but also split out wide. How much does that really uh, help expand the offense and create more looks? Uh, uh, for the defense as well, who's, who's checking you off? Well, I think I think our OC um, is doing a good job of just getting those guys involved. Um, you know, getting these guys all around the field, um, finding different ways to get those guys the ball, um, and, and let the playmakers make the plays. I think that's you know you're doing a real good job with that. Um, I think I think that that have defenses on their toes um, when ten go to the backfield, uh, when twenty four go out wide. Um, you know, it's kind of, you know, you got to find out, you got to see those matchups. You got to, you got to let these guys do what they do. Um, this is what they're good at. So let's do that. Um, I think that's kind of what it's been lately. Absolutely. And, and the Q collar, as we transition <laughs> to, uh, the Q collar, man, um, it's from what I understand is the FDA cleared, uh, the only FDA cleared sports equipment proven to help protect the brain, uh, from repetitive head impacts. Uh, and then obviously there's a the way that that is applied uh, via the neck that that helps um, the brain movement upon impact, uh, and, and which is the the primary cause of brain injuries. Uh, what made you consider adding the Q collar to your equipment? But also, can you speak to why uh, other athletes other athletes, excuse me, should consider the Q collar as a as a must have piece of equipment? Well, well, I see concussions, and you know these guys. You know, CTE, these things are real things that's coming up um, in the future for athletes. Um, and, and when, you know, I had a concussion as well and, and not really knowing how many have I actually have had. Um, so not really knowing what the brain looked like and just listening to these guys um, once they, you know, they, you know, CJ, my agent, he introduced me to the um, to the Q caller and, and we sat down and we talked to Suzanne and everything she said made sense, you know, and and, and just what I went through, um, I think it was it was a no brainer for me to say, "Damn, let me protect myself because if you don't, nobody else will." Um, and these guys came up with something to protect athletes, um, and so I think all athletes should definitely consider it, think about it, um, and, and and really, you know, well, you know, sit down and, and and talk with your fam, man, because this game we play is brutal. You know, it's you know, shit, we hit in every play with our heads and, you know, shoulders and causing those, causing that brain to move around. Um, and these guys came up with a great idea um, to protect the brain. And, and I don't see why any athlete um, that's that's hitting, that's having collisions in their sport, you know, would even, you know, second guess it. Is this your first, 
I'm trying to see, like, have you been able to like feel the the differences from the the point in which you didn't use the cue collar? Is it something that's tangible or more so just subtle in terms of the, the difference that it makes? So, so I mean, it's the cue collar is on you. Um, I can't feel what's going on in my brain. I got you. Yeah, uh, yeah. I can't. I can't feel what's going on in my brain. Just you know, just actually believing in the study, um, and, and, and kind of you know looking at the research and those guys going back and and looking at guys' brains who wore the cue collar versus guys yeah. who didn't wear the cue collar, and I think it's a it's a big difference in that. Absolutely, and uh, from what I understand as well, in a season long trial with football players, athletes not wearing the cue collar were three times more likely to have significant changes in their brain tissue caused by head, head impacts while 73% of athletes wearing that cue collar uh, had no change while only 23% who didn't uh, had no, this is a, a strong word, this discernible change <laughs> in their brain <laughs> tissue uh, per the FDA. Uh, JD, man, I appreciate you. I want to give you the floor right quick just to let anybody and everybody know whatever it is you got going on. Uh, like you said, you said stay on socials during that season. Uh, but, you know, even way, e- either way, you can plug whatever it is uh, that you want people to find you, hear from you, or whatever it is that you got going on off the field as well. Nah, man, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm the wind, bro. I'm just, you know, just blowing with the wind. <laughs> Stand out of the way, man. Um, but I would just like for everybody to protect themselves out here, take care of yourself, wash your hands, um, and do the little things, man. The little things are important. <laughs>